Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. The marketing and media landscape have experienced a seismic shift because of COVID-19. How are big brands managing this change? My next guest is the Vice President of Agency and Brand Solutions for Google and YouTube. Tara Walpert-Levy is responsible for Google's advertising business through third-party partners and specialist businesses, ranging from measurement to creative to multicultural solutions. We're having a great discussion all about acceleration and learning and different things that are happening in the brand. You're going to see that in this episode. Tara, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Thanks so much for having me, Jeffrey. It's great to be here. I know that you play some video games with your kids. I was reading some some of the notes. <laughs> well, it's funny because uh, they managed to successfully negotiate as part of their whole COVID experience, a PlayStation 4 that is the uh, incentive program for good behavior and complete schoolwork and remote learning. And, you know, there aren't that many other kids to play with, so mom's got to dive in. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Were you, you, was that is that a new COVID skill you picked up? A lot of people are learning how to play a musical instrument, um, things like that. So <laughs> is this what you picked up while you were... A little bit. So MLB the show, I'm now proficient, I'm proud to say. And I've, I've also dabbled a little bit with uh, Duolingo. We were picking up Spanish. My kids take Spanish in school. They needed a little bit of help. And it's actually really fun. And uh, and I'm getting there. Yo oh, tengo tres hijos. Well, very good. Very <laughs> I good. I think that's very right, good. right? I have three sons. Yeah. I think I'm getting there. I've been learning too. You know, I've got a I've got a, a brother-in-law who has um, mental capability issues, so he's got cognitive mm-hmm. dissonance issues, and uh, he's a few years younger than me. And I've been teaching him Spanish on the side. And uh, oh wow! So I, but but I've had to really work on gra- gra- gracias uh, rather than gracias. <laughs> he likes to say gracias, and so so we'll work on that. Hey, let's talk okay. about brands and advertising. I. Were you as uh, surprised as I was how how fast some of the brands were able to step into the new advertising on COVID? You know, like Popeyes and and especially some of the from the uh, grocery stores and things. They changed yep. their ads. I mean, very quickly, which is not an easy thing to do, is it? It's not. It's interesting because I've I've been saying, I think COVID is an accelerant of change. It didn't actually fundamentally change trends, but it radically accelerated them. And to your point, one of the things I think people have been working toward is the ability to have faster, more agile, creative messaging for the moment. And you could completely tell those who are further along than others in this moment, because yes, they were able to pivot on a dime, see what was happening, take insights and act on them. And some brands got criticized. I saw Ford, who was a brand that I really love a lot. Um, they were criticized because their commercials were running at the beginning of it and they were the same old commercials, right? But, you know, and, and people were giving them a hard time about it, like you insensitive, blah, blah, blah. And I thought that was a little rough, you know? Yeah. They, and, and by the way, most people, and you know this, most people don't know if there's excess inventory and you've been a good customer, they just run your commercials no matter what. And that's what was going on. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, that's right. And it's interesting because while while that was happening on one side, you might also have seen some of the parodies, right, that came out quickly yeah. around yeah. all of the brands that did change their messaging, right? And they started to have that parody of sort of soft music and we're here for you and so on. So one of the things that's interesting is when you look at scale, right? I mean, one of the things Google does best is look across the entire industry at scale. Interestingly, at least as in April, right? So not in the, the height of the moment. People have learned that they adjusted their messages a little bit for the moment where, for example, they were advertising pickup, curbside, or delivery as opposed to coming into stores or restaurants. But actually, the the spots at that time that were still basically advertising, just business advertising, were actually doing as well or better than the COVID-specific messaging. So I think to your earlier point, it, it really ties to how quickly consumer sentiments change and how businesses need to be really tapped in through, you know, typically the only way to do that is through some form of automation to understand where are people now, what are they ready for, and how can I act on that? Yeah, it's, I've been telling people, and mostly, you know, obviously I speak to a lot of business leaders and they said, what's the biggest trend that you've seen? I said, well, days are weeks, weeks are months, months are years which means you've got to move fast. What would have taken you days, you got to do in hours. What would have taken totally. you, you know, weeks, you got to do in days. And what we would have done in, you know, like I would have changed my business over the next year to be a more digital format for meetings. Oh, <laughs> whoa, Stop. that changed overnight. <laughs> it, it took me less yeah. than 30 days, right? It took me less than one month. Absolutely. What I would have done in a year. So I, it, are you starting to see more trends along that where we're moving faster on the digitalization of the advertising and, the, and what brands are doing? Absolutely. I think the, the digital transformation has been huge. And I think people are surprised to your point on what gets done when you have to. And, and I think in particular, the fact that for a meaningful period of time, we really only had access or communication between brands and consumers digitally. Folks really had to speed up you know, in every sort of business. What is their online commerce and how do they connect with people to drive that, right? So you know, while this might have favored some businesses that were naturally oriented toward digital or a stay-at-home moment, right, like a Netflix or electronic arts or, or folks like that, there's a whole lot of restaurants, real retailers, CPG companies who all of a sudden you know, really needed to figure out how to go D to C and then how to use marketing to achieve that. And by the way, that's not just a marketing challenge, right? That's an enormous back-end problem. If you don't have a, a delivery infrastructure, you have a massive problem. But I think for those who did, one of the things that's really interesting that we're seeing is they were also very surprised by how much business growth they got out of new customers because people were all of a sudden much more open-minded to new brands and willing to switch in particular based on your digital experience. And so now we're seeing a major focus on from CEOs and CMOs how do we lean in and make sure we keep those customers and how do we essentially make sure that things we did in a scrappy fashion to get moving continue to grow? Well, I want to talk to you about what works and what doesn't work and then how can you measure that? Because I think that's one of the cool things about digital and as opposed to what we'd call more traditional types of advertising that we've had to do. But I, I need to take a break and I'll be right back after this message. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we're back and we're live and live casting on LinkedIn and Facebook as we bring you a taping of All Business with Jeffrey Hazel right here on C-Suite Radio. I'm talking with Tara Levy. She's the Vice President of Agency and Brand Solutions at Google and YouTube. This is big stuff. I mean, we don't bring you little stuff. We go right to the top of the C-Suite and we're doing it with Tara. And I've known Tara for, I think, about 10, 12 years 
maybe yeah, that. Been a while. Long. And then you've been. How long have you been in the position? It's been quite a while. Well, I've been at Google almost a decade, and and running these port this portfolio yeah. of businesses for five or six years. So it's been a while. Yeah. I, well, I knew you before you went to Google. And I so, know. Uh, I know. Back in my TV technology days. Exactly. But but to be in one job in these days for 10 years, you must be doing something right. You must be doing something right. Well, I think the the tailwinds of the business currently obviously favor digital transformation. And, and you were alluding before to what works and what doesn't. And I think that is constantly changing. And so for people who are excited about mapping and planning and implementing the future, it's, it's a great place to be. And it's kept me excited and interested. And seeing the impact on our partners is incredibly fulfilling. So, so how do we measure what does work and what doesn't work today? Well, look, I think uh, at the end of the day, and, and this is the buzzword, but it's true, right? it all comes back to business outcomes, right? We're looking yeah. at what drives sales, what drives leads. And of course, I think you do need some degree of more traditional brand metric overhead in order to enable you to then go get those sales and those leads more efficiently and, and with maximum growth over time. But I think one of the things that COVID has highlighted, which is so interesting, is that traditional brands, I think, were not as intimately familiar with their options to really capture profitable growth with some consistency in digital, right? And so now in a period where liquidity really matters and every dollar matters, I think the focus and emphasis and understanding of how you can basically make a commitment that you want to pay X for a lead or a sale at a profitability driver that you control makes an enormous difference for a growing business or a, a business that's, you know, in, in volatile circumstances. So in the work that you're doing, what are you hearing from agencies and brands them, themselves about what they need to do in today's new climate? Well, again, I mean, I think the new climate has accelerated trends. It hasn't fundamentally changed them. And so we hear things that are similar around what they want to do around digital transformation in terms of, you know, making marketing much more of a profit driver versus a cost center around aligning around a new customer experience that really takes advantage of everything that technology can do. The importance of putting data at the center of everything that you do and operationalizing your marketing behind that. And then thinking about really, does your organization support good choices, good strategy, good execution in terms of, you know, everything from silos, you know, does your e-commerce team have alignment with the in-store or in-restaurant or whatever your business is team to, you know, what do you do in-house? What do you do with marketing partners? And how do you think about how you get the most out of a, a relationship between a brand and an agency? So those trends were always underway, but I'd say we were hearing them at a volume and an urgency that we didn't before. So on average, I'd say CEOs and and agency CEOs are telling me they're accelerating their planned timelines by on average about a year, which is great because again, these trends are are all consistent. You know, one, one challenge I've often posed to some of our customers is imagine the stores never came back. Imagine the restaurants never came back. Imagine no one ever walked onto an auto dealership again. What would you do? And if you map out what you would do, which by the way, for a period of time, most people had to, it turns out those are the things you really should be doing even when they do come back in order to have a great holistic omnichannel experience. And that's what we're seeing people do. I mean, there are folks who are experimenting successfully with purchasing a car 
where no one ever touches the car, right? From literally research and viewership. You don't go drive it. You don't even drive it. No, no, they've got, they've got virtual experiences that do that. And then it shows up in your driveway and it's pretty amazing. And I think we will continue to see radical shifts in that direction. Well, you know what? You're making me feel better about the acceleration, which I totally agree with you. The accelerating, accelerating, accelerating. Uh, The other thing you're making me feel better about is the behavior hasn't changed. You still want a car. You still want a house. You still want to go out to eat. Right. So I think those are really solid. So we need to remember that in the back of our head. So not all is lost here, folks. Let's say like we're settled down. I I I think think that's a great point. And, and to your point, we see that consistently in the insights data, right? Both that not only has this experience been good for some businesses, right? If you are a business that taps into people at home um, or even have any kind of direct to consumer uh, retail or, or consumer experience, but also that, you know, people are d- dreaming about the chance to get back to even travel, right? People are researching vacations. Yeah. They're researching the things that they want to do, even if they're not able to do them yet. And so I think that that does speak, you know, really well to, there's an opportunity ahead of us if we can sort of manage through this moment. Yeah, I know my my own my own life. My wife saw a thing about future vacations for this summer in a COVID time, and she she recorded it real quick because she wants to know what the options oh, yeah, are. Oh yeah, absolutely. What to do? Well, yeah, people, cool. I mean, people are you know at the extreme, people are booking cruises, right? Which I, I think yeah. many of us thought might have taken a little bit longer, but you know, people are resilient, and and the businesses are resilient, and. Um, you know, hopefully a silver lining of this is is that their this acceleration serves companies and their employees as well as consumers really, really well. There you go. Buy your own boat and just pitch a tent. There you go. There's my own family. <laughs> right we'll do that. Hey, you what, sound like my I'm, curious, <laughs> I'm curious about you because you work with so many brands and partners. What's your dashboard? You talked about measurements of business and 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 checking in on what you what's what's important for you as a business person. What, what, what's your dashboard look like? What are you measuring? Ah, that's an excellent question in terms of our own business. Yeah, um, sure. Typically, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like anybody else, we've got, we've got business outcomes, which are either sort of what you would expect in terms of driving sales. And then we have interim metrics that are similar to, you know, what a more traditional business might call leads or signals, which are largely based around product adoption, right? Because a lot of the products we launch are always intended to drive a business outcome for our customers and to be helpful to them. And our belief is the more helpful we are to them, the more valuable our business and our service is. And, and that's a win-win situation. And so my dashboard looks at a lot of those interim adoption measures in order to see where those leads are coming in. And then candidly, the, the parallel to brand metrics holds too, right? We look at customer satisfaction, we look at uh, customer preference, and we look at a lot of the breakdowns of where we're doing well by them and where we can do better. And we try to use that to improve our performance across the whole funnel, just like anybody else. Yeah. So share of wallet, uh, market share, those kinds of things are real important. I do like the adoption piece because that's getting to how fast the dog eating the dog food. Right. And, you know, one, if, if they are, but you know, Hey, let's, let's get them to eat more because you want more share of that wallet. Right. Well, that's right. And, and again, like we try to make the connection very clear both to our team and to our customers that, it's a win-win in that circumstance because we believe that if they are using these more, then their marketing will be both more efficient and more effective. And so that you know, is a virtuous circle. All right. Let's take another break and we'll be right back after this message. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we're back live. Thanks so much for joining us right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Talking with uh, Tara Levy. She's the Vice President of Agency of Brand Solutions at Google and YouTube. And hey, by the way, don't forget everyone, C-Suite Supplies. I talked about that before we get started. And 
Hey, I want to make a mention about C-suite loans. If you're looking for $5,000 or $5 million, don't forget C-suite loans. We're working with vetted partners to get you up to 25 plus different solutions. Anytime you apply, it only takes a couple minutes. So we'll make sure we, we talk about that. Uh, Terry, you, you, and you're talking with brands, you're talking with advertisers. What are you seeing as some of the opportunities right now? I mean, what, you know, because in every crisis, there's always great opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. And there's also some great tragedies. We know that. We absolutely watching that unfold in our, in our eyes about certain businesses. But I'm talking to a lot of business owners who have, one, never been busier, never had more customers in their lives, right? And they're, they're working overtime and they're hiring. So what, what do you see as opportunities for the folks that you're working with as advertisers with Google and YouTube? Okay. I'd really like to mm -hmm. hear about that. Well, I'd say a couple of things. I mean, so one, to your point, there are certain businesses that are either were in place or have evolved to help service folks who are at home more, even if they're not at home full time. Right. And so that's why you see the explosion of folks like Instacart and other food delivery services. You see a lot of retail delivery or uh, other retail companies guaranteeing Amazon like service now that Amazon is a little bit backed up. All of those revenue streams are an opportunity for these businesses to diversify for restaurants in particular, right? Think about all of the restaurants who are in delivery or curbside for the first time in a major way and seeing those businesses explode. So I think depending where you are, there's a, a big opportunity to diversify and grow your core revenue streams. I think in particular, many of those opportunities exist in the direct connection with the customer online, right? Because it's an opportunity to also get much greater insight into your business and much tighter connection with your customer. And we see a lot of brands and agencies leaning into that opportunity to speak directly, to have more relevant messages, to understand more about what their customer needs so they can deliver on it. And the last thing I would say is, look, there is so much variability in where companies are right now that if you're a company that's moving faster and has the flexibility to invest, we know from the financial crisis that brands that invested through it perform stronger on the other side. And if you have a liquidity problem, you can't do that. But if you don't, right, most digital media is auction-based, right? And because there is less pressure on the auction, that means you can get more value than ever to go after profitable acquisition of customers, growth of customers, expansion of your customer base. And I think that also is an enormous opportunity if you're able to take advantage of it. Well, you guys operate, you know, with YouTube, much like we do with our own podcast network, although it is auction based in terms of some of that activity. But unless if you're getting heavy views and you're getting to the right audience, you get a premium for that as well. Absolutely. Well, and again, I think the, the connection is important. And that's one of the other massive trends that we're seeing accelerate right now is that the interest and consumption of streaming TV and platforms like YouTube is through the charts, right? Yeah. And so I think brands who are seeing where folks are and taking advantage of abilities to talk to them in a more meaningful way are absolutely seeing a benefit from that. What do you think is the next big shift in advertising? <laughs> that's an excellent question. I'm not sure we're through the, the current big shifts in advertising, to be yeah. quite honest, right? And so if you think about think about how long people talked about mobile before mobile was a thing, and then overnight mobile was a thing. Yeah. I think probably one of the things that we are talking about but hasn't sort of fully materialized yet is this, this transformation to being sort of much more scientific and accountable across your entire advertising base, right? right. And especially as some traditional forms of media turn more digital, right? TV is trying, out of home is trying, and everyone is sort of trying to get to this point and customers' capabilities are building along with it. 
I think that's going to lead to a much better experience for consumers and therefore for advertisers, right? Because we all know we get some fantastic ads. We get some ads that are great for us. We also get an ad sometimes from a company that you just bought their product on the way to work. And you're like, why are you actually sending me that product again? And that's annoying. So I yeah. think um, just, just like COVID, it's, it's an acceleration. It's not a, a reversal, but I think there's still a lot, a lot of ways to go and an opportunity to be found. Do, do You know, there's some other competitors that are out there that are starting this streaming service. I don't know if you'd even call them competitors. I guess I would, but like Peacock's coming from NBC. There's other yep. ones. Do you can, do you, are those competitors to you and does that help or hurt you? Well, here's the thing. I, I think one of the challenges about streaming TV, right? Cause everybody wants to talk about streaming TV because they want to offset core TV declines, right? So brands and agencies that need to find a place are super eager for this marketplace to evolve. And I think that's a good thing for everybody. I think the, the challenge though for, for brands and agencies is that at the moment, 75% of the streaming TV viewership takes place on four platforms, right? It's YouTube, Amazon, Netflix, and Hulu. And only two of those platforms right now offer advertising opportunities. And right. so we take really seriously the opportunity to connect brands and agencies with the 100 million or so people a month who are watching YouTube on TV because of the fact that it's really hard to connect in that environment today. Um, and I think, and, and the, by the way, to the, and recreate the community. That's the other thing. I don't exactly. think, I don't think the big services like NBC, they've always thought they were the destination and they're really nothing but content facilitators. And it's about driving content through wherever someone wants to watch it. And I think right. that's a, a big distinction. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And, and look, I think it's important that advertisers and agencies be able to connect with people at scale in meaningful ways. And, and we're sort of doing our part to, to make that happen because that scale exists already on YouTube today. But we're also supportive of the industry and think in general growth is good. Well, Tara Levy, Vice President, Agency Brand Solutions, Google and YouTube. Hey, it was great catching up with you again. And uh, I don't want to make it another couple of years before I see you again. We're going to have to make sure that we do this again. Thanks for joining me in All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Let's do it again soon. This is great. At the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. Don't forget, coming up is Greg Williams, a, a body language expert and master negotiator. And he's going to be up right after this. But what I learned from Tara was all around acceleration. Hey, you've got to do a lot of measurements right now as a business. And I asked her about her measurements, her dashboard. And, you know, it's the tried and true. Even in a real digital business, it's the tried and true. But what we have to do is put an emphasis on our acceleration and measuring our acceleration. Yesterday, I had a discussion with the CMO of Walmart. And we talked about how fast they had to move. Well, all businesses, even businesses as big as Google or YouTube, have to look at their own acceleration and adoption of the products where the dogs eat the dog food. Once you get a customer in, how fast are they eating it? How fast are they, you know, taking you up on it? How many orders did they come back for if you're a restaurant or reorders or whatever it might be? Those are great tips for you to learn in your business. So that rate of change and rate of adoption, very important for your business. That's what I learned right here. Ladies and gentlemen, you are always negotiating. That's the mantra of my next guest, and he lives it every single day, every minute that you meet this guy. I'm talking about Greg Williams. He's known as the master negotiator, and he's a body language expert. He teaches people around the world how to increase their value through negotiation techniques and is an accomplished author, speaker, and trainer. He's also a member of our elite thought council in the C-Suite Network. Greg, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. 
Well, I appreciate the invitation, Jeffrey. And thus I say, thank you. Hey, it's good to see you, brother. So have you, why do you say that we're always negotiating? Because that what you do today impacts tomorrow's opportunities. You're always shaping your perspective of how people view you. And thus people may say, hmm, you know, there's something about that bag on Jeffrey Hazlett that I just love. Or what is it that you're doing that causes one person to say they love you and another person to say, well, maybe I better be somewhat yeah. skeptical about him. It's the interpretations of your actions that they are making. And thus, even when you don't realize it, you're negotiating. Yeah, I think that's kind of cool. So how do you negotiate with purpose of gaining more information? How do I negotiate with you in order to, you know, bring something out that's going to be helpful for me to know what, hey, what I need to price or what little extra I might want to throw in there, or I, I don't have to put all this stuff on the table. How do I do that? Well, give me a little more insight about the question you're asking. So if you negotiate with the purpose of gaining more information, how do I do I ask more questions with you? Uh, do I look at the kind of clothes you wear? Do I look at your watch? I mean, are those are those hints that I would use in, in knowing how I might charge you? Well, what insight would you need the purpose to gain more insight about me? What would you plan to do with that? Well, for instance, what I'm going to what I'm how I'm going to price it. You know, I mean, look, if you're wearing a Rolex, you know, and you're driving a Maserati, you, you, at least either you're in really big debt, okay, or you got some good money. So I don't want to maybe discount the offer. That's what, that's my point. Mm -hmm. And would that be of importance to you? Are you doing that to me right now? Yes, I am. <laughs> I was waiting to see how long it would take. Oh, gosh. You <laughs> oh, there we go. Okay. I'm a little slow. Yeah. Uh, would that be importance to me? Yeah, that would be an importance to me. Yeah. And, and you know what? Uh, to be more serious, Jeffrey, that's exactly <laughs> what you need to do to gather more information. The person that's asking questions in a negotiation is the person controlling the negotiation at that particular point in time. And thus, if you want more information from someone, you need to get them to tell you more about the information that you're seeking from them. And you do that by asking questions. Yeah, I see my my producer wrote to me on the side said she you got her too. <laughs> okay. I mean that was so I mean how I what I like about that. Look, I'm a fairly astute guy. I think like to think that, right? <laughs> but I like the technique that you just did and I didn't even know I was getting it, right? And that's the point. If you could do it so uh, subtly that people don't pick up on exactly what you're doing. It yeah. becomes more effective because uh, they're just giving information. But again, you're always negotiating. So you have to even be mindful of the information that you give when you're just talking to someone. Is that something you pick up or, or really something you need to practice? And I, my answer is, I really believe it's just something you need to practice continually. Right. And you, you keep, uh, you keep, you know, refining the technique. The response to that is yes, yeah. <laughs> you definitely do need to practice. And it's something that is more intuitive than we realize. Some people will say, you know, I had a feeling about that. I, it's something just wasn't exactly right. Uh, I suspected that there was more there. Well, what you're really saying is you were interpreting either nonverbal gestures or verbal maneuvers that you perceive subliminally that did not make the complete trip to your state of consciousness. 
And that's why you should be very much aware of what's occurring in your subconscious mind. And how do you do that? By paying more attention. Paying more attention. So being observant in the moment, that's one, from both a, a mind and the body, because you can feel that stuff and watch that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you can do it right here on Zoom, too. I mean, you can do it over the phone. You don't have to necessarily be right in front of them, right? Oh, definitely so. As a matter of fact, in today's environment where more webinars are occurring, so forth and so on. Now, I'm going to take my eye off of the camera for a moment. Okay. Now, did you just see the slight movement? Can you can you tell that I'm yep. looking? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, okay. So now I'm picking up more cues. I was trying to do so through my peripheral view a moment ago as to the facial gestures that you were emitting. But Jeffrey, there are times when I will literally go into virtual environments and just observe the facial expressions of people when they make those facial expressions and the stimuli that causes them to do so. Why? Because I'm gathering information about how they use certain gestures to convey the thoughts that are percolating in their mind. And that's something that we need to be aware of. We need to be aware of setting the baseline first of how people use and utilize certain body language gestures to represent certain thoughts when they're in a comfortable place or environment. And then observe the change that occurs when they feel more either threatened or in a more heightened situation. And I tell salespeople all the time, observe how you can influence someone just by noting what it is that you want them to do and how they respond to your stimuli. Well, I think we would call those, if you were playing poker, that those would be called tells, right? (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. And to that point, the body always attempts to stay in a state of comfort, always. A baby cries when it's soiled. I mean, so that's something that's innate in us. And thus, when people tell things that are not truly believable to themselves, they'll emit a gesture. Because the body is slightly out of state of comfort because the body knows, whoa, 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 that's not the 100% absolute trust. Now, there's a caveat to that also because a good negotiator that knows how to cast certain body language signals can lie. And people say, well, if you touch your eye, that means you're lying. Well, no, you have to look at a cluster of signals to indicate to what degree somebody is altering their perception of the truth or whatever. And the truth is what that individual believes it to be. So again, you have to be mindful of that person's mindset, the body language gestures he or she injects into a particular situation and what caused them. Yeah, and the first uh, the first view of that might not be the the best tell for you yet. You're going to have to take some time. He said a baby soils it when a baby soils itself it cries. So do a lot of adults, okay? <laughs> I just want to keep that in mind. Hey, listen, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back after this message. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we're live right here on LinkedIn and Facebook. Thanks so much for joining us right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. I'm talking to Greg Williams, the master negotiator. I can't even say the word. The master negotiator and body language expert. He's at GW Enterprises. Make sure that you check him out. And of course, there, look right on there on screen. For those of you who can see this, body language secrets and negotiating with a bully, two bestsellers that he's got out Man, I and I've read both of those books, and they're great books, and they were in our C-Suite Network book club. So check them out. You can go right there. So we were talking about body language and body gestures. So what are some body language gestures that we should look out for when interacting with others? Well, first of all, establish how someone uses their gestures to represent their thoughts. And you do that when they are in a safe environment. That bears reiterating because 
most of the times people will tend to look up and to the left when they are trying to recall something that has occurred in the past. Just as a generalization, they'll tend to look up and to their right when they're trying to assess what might occur in the future. And thus, if you have established as a result of that person using those gestures consistently, well, different environments, and you're then in, in one whereby you're talking to that person and you ask, what did they do last night? And instead of looking up to the left for recall, they look up and to the right for future assembly in their mind, you should just take note of the fact that, wait a minute, that gesture changed. Now, is the person getting ready to lie? Uh, what's going on in the person's mind? You don't necessarily have to challenge the person at that particular point in time, but put a pin in it and come back to it later just to verify what really did occur. Another gesture are hand movements that you can observe from time to time. People may say, I'm not sure. I think mm -hmm. that the uh, and they point at it. Or, yeah. Exactly. Now, in general, that's more of a sign of assuredness when someone says, I will guarantee that I can deliver this to you. What about the individual that uses a gesture that says, I believe you're right? Well, let me give me a waving. I want to make sure that everybody on the podcast knows what you're doing. So you're waving, yeah. you're waving across <laughs> left to right or right to left. Exactly. Now, in that person's mind, is that person really saying, I believe what you're saying, or I believe what I'm saying, and at the same uh, time, I'm waving a hand. I, exactly. I would think they're discounting it. Yeah. That's right. But how about the individual that uses that gesture to serve as confirmation? That's why it's so important to understand how a person uses his or her gestures. You can't ascribe any particular gesture to someone's characteristics unless you know how they use those gestures in different environments, different situations, and you always need to seek cluster of gestures to confirm what it is that's going on in someone's mind. So if someone says, I don't believe what you're saying now and, for those, hand. and yeah. shaking the head. Yeah. Okay. The synchronization uh, there with those two body language gestures, which lends more credibility to the fact to the fact that they more than likely don't believe what it is that they're hearing or they're saying, or you're saying. Let me ask you a question about culture. Because different cultures do different things. I, you know, I've been in India a great deal, and there's head gestures there that would say that someone is saying yes to me, but they're shaking their head no, right? And and which is a tough thing for a lot of, let's, let's get into white Americans, right? Or, you know, a lot of Americans who have not spent a lot of time there get very confused because they're they're saying something yes, and they're shaking their head no. Right. But that is their yes. Right. So it's like, holy crap, my mind is getting blown here. But you you really you really need to spend more time listening, watching, observing and being in not just the moment, but in someone else's shoes. I mean, we could say that on lots of topics right now. Right. Well, well, that's the definite truth for sure. And again, it goes back to the perspective of you're always negotiating before entering that environment that you cited about India. You should know what certain gestures mean and how they are used. Thus, you've educated yourself prior to entering the environment such that you can understand the environment that you're in more and understand those in the environment a lot better than you otherwise would if you just haphazardly or just dropped in and all of a sudden yeah. assumed gestures you saw in other cultures were the same in the one that you had just entered. 
Well, I'll give you another good example in a foreign culture. If you go to Japan or let's say China, you'll see that body invasion, that body space is not as observed the way we observe it here in the West or in the U.S. Like if you 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 get inside my 18 inches, I'm thinking you're threatening me. But if you if you've ever been in an elevator in China or Japan or or in, you know, next to, you know, they it's a lot different kind of space. Right. So it's, a, it's something to do. Let me ask you this question. What are three things you need to do to immediately become a better negotiator? Number one, pay attention to your environment. Observe what's occurring in it. Number two, not only should you pay attention, but you should understand, even before going into that environment, what it is that you want as far as an outcome when you're actually going to be negotiating with someone. And even more importantly, know what it is that they are seeking as an outcome and how you might be able to give them what they want such that you can get mm. what you need. I like that. Let me take a, speaking about what I need, I need more advertisers, need more listeners. Let me take a break. I'll be right back. I'm talking to Greg, the master negotiator and body language expert, Greg Williams. Be right back after this message. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we're back and we're on the world's largest business podcast network, that's C-Suite Radio. And you're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlitt. As I mentioned before the break, I'm talking to Greg Williams, the master negotiator and body language expert. And he just talked about three things you need to become um, immediately that you could do immediately to become a better negotiator. Real good tips. Now, let me ask you this question. Someone makes you an offer. Someone makes you an offer. How do I test the offer? What's the offer? I don't know. Oh, is that how you take it? Is that how you test it? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I don't know if you're screwing with me again. I, I'm, I'm so scared. I'm so scared to answer. I am scared. I'm scared. No. <laughs> you're catching on for sure. Yeah. So, I so, am so, catching. Yeah. yeah. So, someone, okay, let's create a hypothetical situation. Someone says to you, uh, I'll give you $100,000 if you do X. And my response is, what's the offer? Just like I just said, because yeah. what you're really trying to do is to get them to define in their mind what it means for the offer they're extending to you. Yeah. Then you can, based on whatever response they give you, assess how you should address their offer. But not until you understand truly what it is that yeah. they are offering you, should you even make any type of counter offers or things of that nature. Yeah, so it gets back to understanding the essence of the offer, what makes up their value points in the offer. Because if you know that this really means something to you, that's a leverage point, right? Oh, that definitely. If, if you understand their business to understand their profit margins and their, their, their valuations of what they might be able to do, and you understand that maybe they want more revenue because of this or what, whatever, those are bigger things for you to be able to have to use. Or I like... You know, is it better to like negotiate at the beginning of the month or the end of the month? With every negotiation, it depends on the yeah. person or team or entity that you're negotiating with and to what degree they have skin in the game for what they're willing to lose or gain. Let me cite a quick story, too, to talk about leverage, because you hit upon a very key point a moment ago. I was involved in a real estate transaction once whereby uh, someone wanted to buy a building that I owned. And a lawyer was representing that individual. I knew that his client was in desperate need of the building I had. The lawyer called me trying to get me to drop the price and became somewhat, somewhat indignant to the point that he hung up on me. 
And I'm thinking, oh, oh boy, you have no Dude. leverage here at all. He called yeah. back a few days later, Jeffrey, and said, uh, you know, I apologize. Um, uh, here's the thing. I, I just really need you to drop the price by ten to $15,000. I said, not only will I not drop the price, the price has gone up by $25,000. And you tell your client you were the one that caused her to lose this deal. And I hung up. He called back extremely apologetic and ended up giving me an extra $25,000. Yeah, which he's taken out of his fee. Exactly. Which, exactly. So you, because he doesn't want to be embarrassed. He didn't want to have mm-hmm. that conversation. So that's what you knew. You know, that's an interesting thing to be able to have that kind of confidence to do that, which, by the way, I would have done that. I would have said the exact same I thing. Know. I would have done the exact same <laughs> way. But how do you how do you help other people? We got we only got a little. You make this the last question, and then we got to have you back because you're you're so good at this. Uh, how do, how does one increase their confidence uh, when they're about to enter a negotiation and they're feeling kind of iffy? Because a lot of people do feel that way. They're going to be they get in front of you and I. They're going to be intimidated, right? First of all, don't go into any negotiation with the aspect of I have to have the outcome no matter what it is or else I'm going to die. I mean, setting yourself up for failure is, yeah, exactly. And desperation will cause you to do desperate things. Don't go into an, uh, an environment with that type of attitude. And remember, you will live past a negative outcome if you don't subjugate yourself to being maneuvered, bullied, or whatever be the case. But you have to have the attitude of, I have something of value, which is why this entity is negotiating with me and I'm going to project strength as a result of it. Okay, you get smacked down. So what? Stand back up next. No one died. No yeah, one died. Exactly. I, exactly. I got to tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll leave everybody with this. We, we just had a big deal in front of a massive, big billion, couple billion dollar company where they wanted us to do something for them. And we said, hey, here's the charge. You got to pay. You got to pay an upfront piece, which we're going to have to do some work to do the education and then a per event based fee. They came back and said they just want to pay the per event based fee. And I said, no, there's all this work up front, all this knowledge, all this stuff that we have to do. And I said, no, no, unless you take the whole package, we're not interested. And they came back and said, okay, we don't have it in our budget. I said, well, that's too bad, you know, because we're not doing it based on that. And, and, and the team said, well, but we're missing out on that revenue. I said, yeah, but think of all the the cost that was involved, we would have ended up losing in that deal. And not only that, we just told a big billion, $2 billion company, hey, we know how, we know what we're valued at. That's good. And Jeffrey, one other point to add to that, know your value, number one, you're always negotiating number two, which means in that situation, if you had caved into their demands or requests in that particular situation, you set yourself up to do the same in future interactions. Every single time. I See, I don't mind negotiating with you. You you work me down every so often. <laughs> but you know what? I, I call that education. I call that education when I do it with Greg. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, we've been talking with Craig Williams, the master, negoti- master negotiator and body language expert. I'm going to do my best not to have verbal dyslexia as much as I possibly can. Hey, Greg, thanks for being with us on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Thank you, Jeffrey, for providing the platform to do so. And I want to also make mention, you know, I, I, I tweeted this out when I saw that Greg got it. It's up here on the screen. He's ranked top 30 global guru, number nine negotiator. He's a top guy for body language. If you need any help whatsoever, you need to, you're about to go into one of the toughest negotiations, you know, go put him in your corner. Don't forget about that. That's a smart thing for you to do. 
because just the fee alone will get you 10x back. And that's what you don't want to forget. Thanks, Greg. It's been a pleasure to have you. I'll let you go. And I'll see you tomorrow because you are you and I are getting together for our Thought Council meeting. Oh, we got some big stuff we're going to be talking about there. So thanks so much, Greg. More than welcome. At the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learn. And I learn from Greg as I learn every day. This guy teaches me stuff all the time, makes me think about how I want to negotiate. It gets my mindset around going into that room. And I thought the best piece of advice, the thing I learned the most, never go in the room thinking you have to do a deal right? If you go in the room thinking you must, you must, you must, you must make it work. You've got to get that sale or you're going to die. The business is going to go down. You're going to go in with the desperation. You're going to go in with desperation. You're going to go in with perspiration. You're going to be sweating. I'll tell you that. And that'll be a sign. So don't go in there with that attitude. Go in there with the mindset, the mindset that you're a winner. You can walk away from that thing. And I'll guarantee you, you'll sell better. You'll negotiate better and uh, you'll show up better. And that's what I learned right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. Don't forget, tell your friends all about the show, all about C-Suite Network. We got hundreds of shows for you to listen to. And I, of course, thank you so much for listening in on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett every single day. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.